As I always like to say, it's in the desert where I really uh, learn how to see. Because it appears to be nothing, but after some time you start to discover things, you discover the dunes, you discover the very little uh, elements, if it's a very far uh, palm tree or, or a bird or, or a change of the um, sun. Uh, you notice things and suddenly they take different importance. When you have in a when you live in a limited space, for example here, between the mountain and the sea, the vision it's very rich. You are it's full of details, and you have to make a real effort to see each element in itself. In the desert, it's like you have to face the nothingness and maybe you make your own selections. Hi, this is Materially Speaking, where artists tell their stories through the materials they choose. This series, I'm 30 miles north of Pisa in northern Italy, sandwiched between sea and pine forests on one side and olive groves on hillsides rising up into the Apuan Alps on the other. I'm near a town called Pietrasanta, nicknamed Little Athens because of its tradition of carving marble. Here, a unique international community of artists work as generations of artists have since Michelangelo first came here 500 years ago to choose marble for his Pieta from the local quarries. Today, I'm meeting with Egyptian artist Armin Agop. He tells the story of his journey here and what made him choose another material, granite. No sooner do the metal gates of Giorgio Angeli's studios swing open, the dogs appear barking. The dust-covered yard ahead is full of big blocks of marble, wooden pallets, and a truck with towering crane to move the marble around. Founded in the 1970s, this place has hosted many well-known artists, including Novello Finotti, Kanya Suda, and Isamu Noguchi. Armin Agop has his studio here, and I go to admire the Sufix series. You can see them for yourself on his website, arminagop.com, or as always, you can see photographs of all the works we discuss on our website or Instagram, both called Materially Speaking. But if that's not convenient, just listen to his story. I'm sure he'll explain. Because of a noisy robot, we had to move away for our interview and decided to walk through the impressive sculpture garden with large works by artists who have worked here over the years and find a suitable place to interview and a piece of marble to sit on. Behind me, the train sometimes bursts through on its journey between Genoa and Florence, you'll hear it, and beyond the railway is the sea. Ahead of me towers up the white mountains of the Apuan Alps, tinged pink in the afternoon light. Actually, my full name is Armen Gerboyan, which I don't uh, use artistically. I use Armen Agop. Uh, Gerboyan, it's a very difficult uh, to be pronounced, and in Egypt it was impossible to be pronounced. 
And uh, as an Armenian, I would always say my name, Armen, and my family name, my family name, Gruboyan. But in Egypt, because most of the families, they don't have family name, so they use the name and the name of the father and the grandfather. So it would be technically Armen, Agop, Gruboyan. And uh, I kind of shortened it uh, to Armen Agop. And uh, where were you born? And can you tell me a little about your childhood? I'm born in Cairo, Egypt, in an Armenian family. So I think that was something uh, particular. Cairo is a big city, and there was a very small Armenian community, uh, 3,000 in between at that time, 20 millions. So I think there was a special uh, childhood because... Uh, I grew up in these two different cultures and uh, made me always question. It's not about what is right, what is wrong, but with all these contradictions, I was always evaluating the values, no? re-looking re at what I do, what the others do, what we do in, house, in the house, what they do outside the house. And uh, I think that's making me that's made it very rich childhood for me. I'm coming from Egypt, and Egypt is very a special place to be born, especially for a sculptor. I guess maybe as a sculptor, if I could have chosen, uh, Egypt would have been the first choice. Why is that? Uh, Egypt, with, with all its heritage, with art, especially sculpture, uh, I think it's a special uh, place in any other country. Uh, and it's nature. I think the nature of Egypt, uh, this wide desert and the very uh, limited green areas around the Nile, uh, make it very special than even any other deserts or any other green areas because this uh, strong contrast between both of them gives a very... Uh, interesting lifestyle in the end. What sort of education did you have and how did you progress to becoming an artist? I, I find this question is very interesting and somehow uh, sometimes I find it out of context. When people ask how you became an artist, I think the most honest answer is uh, I don't know, I think like as any child, I used to draw and play with the plastiline and clay. And there was never a good reason to stop. Actually, I don't know why the others stopped. How, why do they stop something which is that fun? I mean, I don't understand why they stopped drawing and painting and playing with colors. So I don't think I have an answer for that. It's just natural, it's an instinct. And there was never a good reason to start. That's a great answer. Um, how long did you live in Egypt and where did you go after Egypt? I stayed in Egypt uh, until I was 30 years old. And then I got kind of this Rome Prize. With that, I moved to Italy for a year, a year and a half. And then I decided to stay in Italy. So what was the prize? Can you elaborate on that? Uh, the Rome Prize, it's um, a prize given by the Minister of Culture in Egypt. 
But the, the idea of drone prize, it's initiated uh, by uh, the French government like 150 years ago. And at that time, the French government used to send the best uh, students coming out of the Beaux-Arts to Rome in uh, Villa Medici and to get acquainted to the Renaissance art. Many very well-known artists like Rodin and many others, they just got this prize and they came to Rome to get acquainted to the Renaissance art. And after that, many other countries kind of copied the idea and they have their uh, the academies. So they have the French Academy, the Belgium Academy, the uh, British Academy, the American Academy, and also the Egyptian Academy. So you knew pretty early on that you liked working in sculpture? I did hesitate for some years between painting and sculptures, and uh, I never really stopped painting, but uh, I had to choose between uh, between them for the for my studies. And uh, for many years after the yeah, sculpture took over, it took more space in, uh, in my life, in my time. Uh, but for the last five years, I'm painting much more than before, and uh, actually, my next exhibition will be a combination of paintings and sculptures and drawings. Great. And what uh, material did you choose to sculpt in in those days? When I was younger, of course, I tried uh, as much materials as uh, I could uh, try. Wood, resin, clay, plaster, stone, and uh, bronze. And I was uh, interested to work with uh, with basalt at the time, but there was no really good information or source to of, for source of knowledge to to practice that at the time. So I uh, kept on working with different materials and uh, without having a preference actually in one material or another until I got older. So you came here around 30, and um, what drew you to the area here, Pietra Santa as an area? And what do you feel is the main benefit of working in a community like this? I think this change from, from time to time, in the beginning was very interesting, that uh, I could see sculptors working from all over the world, from the Far East, from the far west and the north and the south really different cultures different mentalities different approaches uh, completely different than mine and also uh, priorities and values uh, many things I didn't care about uh, I saw people uh, other sculptors really giving it uh, too much importance and uh, it's uh, top of their priority lists What's, and what sort of things are you thinking of one of the main things would be the commercial aspect uh, of art. When I used to live in Egypt, there was no really uh, art market. And uh, we did it because we wanted to do it. We did it because there was our way of existing. I never knew an artist who survived from his work. The only ones I knew was the uh, university teachers or professors of fine arts. Other than that, uh, no artist I know in Egypt at that time at least could manage leave from his work. So uh, one of the first questions I remember I was asked here, do you sell? 
I was almost insulted because to sell is like being commercial and uh, my utopic uh, image, even even though I was 30, but still <laughs> stayed, uh, I think, quite late. That uh, you do art because that's what you want to do. You sculpt because that's your lifestyle. Interesting. So basalt, I know nothing about basalt. Can we talk about the mediums? Because so many people are here because of the marble, but not you. Yeah, actually, I uh, when I came here in the beginning, I tried uh, a piece of white marble. Uh, but uh, we kind of didn't connect. Uh, there was always this distance between uh, me and uh, Marble and with what I wanted to do. There was a big distance. And uh, I remember the next studio, they had a small piece of black granite. And I asked uh, the owner for that workshop uh, if I can uh, work with that, if, uh, if he can sell me that piece. It was a very small piece like 50 by 50 uh, centimeters cube. Uh, he said, no, but that's too hard. You don't need that. You you can't work with this. This is not for, good for sculpture. And I said, just let me try. I want to try it. Uh, can I have it? How much you want for it? And he said, after, of course, I was insisting a bit. I said, just take it. It's free. You'll see. It's too hard. And uh, that was it. <laughs> So what was the connection? What did you find in granite that you... I'm curious to know what you didn't find in marble because people talk about the dialogue with the stone and I would love to know what that means mm. to a sculptor. Many things actually stood the distance between me and marble. Marble um, is a very sweet uh, material for me. Um, it's beautiful in itself. You have the veins, like gray veins or even light gray veins, which I think they're very dominant and very present in the in the stone. And uh, with what I wanted to do, with the very simple forms, I found that the veins are very present. And uh, granite instead is very neutral, very uh, silent in that sense. There's, there's no effect of color or uh, so uniformity of the material in granite was very important for me. Plus, uh, I'm almost embarrassed to say that, but when I was very young and I visited Italy for the first time, and I realized that the David of Michelangelo was taken inside to be protected from the weather, I was kind of disappointed. Again, I go back to where I grew up. We didn't have that in, in Egypt. You, I'm used to see the, the granite pieces standing in the facing time and weather and any uh, condition. And it was part of the dignity of the material and uh, its personality. So this kind of fragility of the marble, it kind of disappointed me in a way. Although I was not making big pieces for outdoor, it didn't really matter at the time. But this uh, essence of the, the of the material that its its relation with its surrounding and the nature, I found it a bit different than what I'm used to. And so, how about uh, granite? How does that feel to work? The difference between granite and marble, 
that uh, marble is like layers, one above each other, and the the way of working it is like removing a layer after the other. Granite is completely different. It's volcanic. There are grains attached to each other, so its structure is not like marble. So it's we, there's no layer that I remove from above the other. So I will, I use different tools like bush hammers, and the idea is to separate the grains from each other and not taking away a layer. Uh, and also the discs are different uh, than the marble discs. All the tools, I mean, the, the main ideas are the same, but all the tools are different. Even the sandpaper for or granite is different than the sandpaper for marble. As a, as a general difference is that, I guess, plus uh, the rhythm. Grind is much harder and it needs to be worked slower. And uh, slowness, it's another factor which really suits me. Uh, granite forces you to rethink about your decision. Doesn't obey so much. Granite says no several times. You really have to be sure of what you're doing. Uh, so I think this contact, this relation with the material, it's very uh, special, which I really feel very good with it because uh, I have to find a way with the material. It's not a material which just obeys me, say yes, 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 which I find that with clay. Clay continuously say yes. I can do anything. Anybody can just touch and play and shape the clay the way he wants. Granite is has this kind of dignity and starts with no. You have to be sure of what you want to do and you have to respect the material because if you go so fast, you either uh, burn your disc because it gets too hot, so you spoil it, you have to really replace it, uh, or you can, um, it takes a long time to really go in the uh, form. So there's, there's a very special relation with the granite and I think uh, I found my good bond with, uh, with the granite and with the slowness, which gives me chance to uh, also, especially when I'm not working uh, with a premeditated composition. So it's, if there's this process of search and discovering and so this gives this this give and take with the material, and uh, that's one of the interesting aspects of the process for me. Um, granite and basalt are they different in the same family or? Granite and basalt are in the same family. Uh, granite is the volcanic uh, stone which came up uh, out on the earth, so uh, we we find it uh, in sort of hills. Not very high mountains, hills, and basalt is the is the volcanic stone with the uh, stayed underground. So it cooled slower. The basalt, granite, when uh, when it came out on the surface, it cooled faster. Had this shock of temperature, and it cooled faster. Oh, it's interesting. And and do either or both of them come from this area, or is it as material you have to import? The granite I work with uh, is coming from different places, but not in Italy. It comes from Zimbabwe, Sweden, India, uh, but not from Italy. So you're here because of the community of people, not because of the 
materials, really? Maybe it's nice to say that, but to be honest, no. No. I think it's because of the place. The locations, they have their strengths and they have their character. The character of the location uh, is very important. Of course, the, the history, the background of the area with all the sculptors, the, all the marbles which has been used and worked and sculpted in the area gives uh, a special taste to the, to the place. But also the, the, the location, the relation between the mountain and the sea and, uh, and the flat uh, area. I think that's very important. It's this kind of in intimacy, if I can say that, in, uh, in Petrosand. And of course, plus the, the community, which is a very uh, flexible community. It's continuously changing, uh, especially the foreigners or the artists coming all over the world. Very few of them stays here all the year or move completely here. Most of them, they come and go according to the projects, according to the work, uh, they're preparing for exhibition or commission for a bigger uh, piece. So it's always changing the community and uh, that also makes it very interesting because in any other small village or city uh, the size of Petro Santa, they have the same people, some of them born there and they die there. But uh, this international community is always changing. That makes it very young. Even some of them are very older uh, sculptors. But it makes a young uh, society because there's always new energy with different ideas. I don't say new because some people, they can come with the very old ideas. But that's also in, uh, in which the whole uh, scene. I don't think I came with a new idea. I came maybe with the very old ideas. And, uh, and many times when they talk to me about, oh, what's the new piece? I said, no, no, I don't do new pieces. I do very old ones. And that's a statement. I'm doing it with granite. I'm working with granite. I mean, <laughs> one of the oldest materials. Can you describe um, what inspires your work and, and or what your work generally looks like the size and you know to someone who hasn't got a picture in front of them is there a way of explaining i work in uh, several themes so for example the touch series uh, are sculptures that uh, the the viewer or the audience are invited to touch and when they touch them uh, they move or they rock and uh, I think that's one of uh, my favorite series because, again, going up in Egypt, um, I was surrounded with uh, this kind of gods, which even if they are not that sacred anymore, but they kept uh, some of the sacredness in it. And... Uh, and the word we use now about the monumentality or the monumental, I think it's uh, it's very uh, interesting that we still insist on that word because in the past, it. I think it was like 
these big sculptures that represented God, they had to have this bigger ego and this power and uh, made people smaller, made them feel smaller. So there was this, mm, the difference of uh, power and ego between the sculpture and the viewer. And uh, as if like it was mm, purposely uh, planned to this uh, diminutive feeling of the person. Uh, that from a young age uh, made me think about this value or this aspect of monumentality in the inner energy of the piece. So in a smaller scale, I, uh, I search about this internal monumentality, this internal energy, this internal strength, which doesn't really need this uh, huge uh, size. There's something beyond that. It's not only the scale. There's this internal uh, energy which interests me. So in that small pieces, which I invite people to touch it, it was an attempt to equalize a bit the ego between the people and the artwork. We always try to divinize the artworks. It's not, uh, it's not uh, allowed to touch, don't touch, it's forbidden to touch. And granite here allows me, helps me that people can touch it. It resists that, it can handle that with no damage. And uh, I like this uh, meeting with the people with the, with the stone. Because people instinctively they touch the stone anyway. If we go see, for example, uh, the Museum of the Vatican, the the, the sculptures, the, the the feet of the huge sculptures, they're all yellow. People touch it uh, anyway, even if it's forbidden. And when I observe that, I see them touching it without even looking at it. People looking forward, but while they're walking, they just touch instinctively. Uh, the sculptures. So that instinctive uh, thing, I think I uh, wanted to develop it or work on it or make it more uh, open. Why not touching the sculpture? I think sculptures are uh, to be touched. And regarding the Sufic series, they're based on uh, very uh, simple forms, uh, many times very similar in composition, but uh, again concentrating on the inner world of the piece than the exterior, uh, actually even uh, aspect of the piece. Um, that also comes from another uh, culture, we, we always talk about going forward, going ahead, and uh, as, uh, as an example, we can take the Sufi dancers, they continuously doing the same step, but it's not going further or backward, it's just staying where you are, and just trying to go deeper, and just unite with yourself, and in a way unite with many things that you you don't notice when you are trying to notice all the details uh, around you. So the idea was like doing round pieces, so they are the same composition, very similar uh, in the general aspect, 
But each one has its own individuality, has its own uh, inner world different than the other. And um, how has new technology changed the way you work over the years? Actually, I work uh, both ways or in any way. I am not against working with uh, assistants and I'm not against working with technology. I tried all of them. But uh, I prefer to work by myself, especially in uh, well, the smaller dimensions, this human skills, which I can do most of it the way uh, I want by alone. But of course, when uh, I work on bigger pieces, uh, it's uh, good to have some help, and I will collaborate with uh, artisans and uh, and uh, highest uh, latest technology actually, and. Uh, I think the latest technology is very important because uh, you can save a lot of time and energy. And I see by by age what the energy I had when I was in my 20s, I don't have it now. And that accelerates a bit some uh, of the process. But I think it's very important to know uh, the material very well and the technology becomes a tool and not just to adapt to the possibilities of the technology because that can also uh, bring some artists out of their track. So what you're saying is it's it's just another tool? Yes, and, and actually I work with a combination of the sometimes the latest technology for cutting, sometimes even roughing it out, and uh, I combine it with the most primitive technologies, if we can say that, because the way of uh, finishing and uh, and and uh, smoothing the form and uh, capturing the the shapes I want, I go back to the most primitive ones with using other abrasive stones and uh, and kind of grinding the stone. So it's always a mixture of the latest and the earliest. And uh, I think that's also uh, part of the fun. Wow. And you were telling me earlier about the exhibition uh, that you do, you're doing in Paris. Do you want to talk a little about that? Because the emphasis of that was on the eye and the night. And that also related to the desert a little? Yeah, and this latest exhibition in Paris is called uh, The Eye and the Night. And it, uh, it's taking place in the Institute of the Islam Sculpture. Uh, it's a very special exhibition, I guess. And I think the uh, curator, Jardim Bloch, put uh, really interesting uh, works together from very different cultures and different uh, artists. And uh, again, this theme, uh, the night is very important, I guess, in the Middle Eastern culture. Uh, I'll go back to the desert again. In the desert, when uh, when you spend a good part of the day in the, at night, uh, darkness, which is again seeing nothingness in a way, uh, has... Uh, an important role in your daily life because you have to get used to the darkness 
it's something we forget now when we're living in the city, how it would be to live in the desert when you don't have electricity, or at least they didn't have a long time ago. So you have to cope with uh, with nature in a different way. The the moon has a big role in your life. Actually, the uh, Arabic uh, year uh, it's uh, moon based. No, the, the Arabic month is like 28 days of the moon uh, months. So uh, these limitations, which would be in darkness at, uh, at night, it uh, gives. Uh, big opportunities to dream, to see, to visualize, to imagine, and to maybe make uh, a new uh, mythologies. Thanks to Armin Agop. You can see photos of his work on his website, armanagop.com. You can also see photos of all the works we discuss in this series on our Instagram or at our website, materiallyspeaking.com. Production and composition thanks go to Guy Dowsett. Recording thanks to Duncan Thornley at Map Studios. Yeah.